This is Enacting the Kingdom, a podcast about liturgical worship. I'm Father Yuri Claudio, an Orthodox Christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning. I'm joined by my friend and teacher, Father Jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey is the director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto and holds a doctorate in liturgical theology. Exorcisms. That's a scary word. Yeah, I, I know we did a podcast specifically on spiritual warfare and, and exorcism before, but um, it's always worthwhile returning to this topic and, and maybe demystifying it a little bit or taking out a bit of the scary aspect of that, maybe more normalizing it and making it part of our Christian life. And certainly uh, the position that it has sort of within the preparation of a catechumen is kind of foundational for Christian life. So in some senses, we we never leave the the kind of battlefield that, that is set up by these prayers. So we'll have a chance to talk about that today, I hope. Yeah. I, I think, you know, when, when we think of that word exorcism today, we think of Hollywood movies, right? The Exorcist yeah. and things like that. And I remember Father Greg in, in Winnipeg, if there were ever guests present at the beginning of a baptism or at the, whatever it would be, whenever these prayers would happen, he'd always say... Like, don't worry, heads heads are not going to be spinning 360 here. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> yeah, Hollywood hasn't helped. <laughs> right. We'll put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, uh, I think we should just begin and maybe dive into the text. Uh, you know, the first thing that I want to mention is that in some Orthodox traditions, in, in maybe at your church, they would do these prayers when you receive somebody as a catechumen. But in some traditions, they would actually wait and not do these prayers until the actual day of baptism, kind of right before you are baptized, they, they might do these prayers. So uh, I'm wondering, Father Jeffrey, if you could comment a little bit about that, that difference in practice. Um, because well, sure. I mean, pe- people yeah. might get confused if we're talking about doing it at one time or the other. But the, the, the truth is, it happens at both times, depending on the church that you're in and the, and the presbyter you're working with. Yeah, and and even um, some parts that you associate with just the service of making a catechumen are actually from different services originally. So when we spoke, we were sort of setting this whole uh, series up um, about the fact that all of the parts of, you know, bringing somebody into the church, these mysteries of initiation, the the making of a catechumen, the, the renunciation of the devil, the acceptance of Christ, then moving on to baptism and chrismation. Originally, you know, these would have been part, different parts of a long process, right? And and catechumen, it could last, you know, one to three years in, in the early church. And these uh, different parts would have taken place at different times. And in fact, they gave rise to what we have in our Lenten season um, now. So the the idea we talked about the kind of inscription in a, in a book of, of life, the idea that you were enrolled as a catechumen, that took place on the very first day uh, of Great Lent. And then these prayers of exorcism and of, of kind of moving into this journey of preparing for baptism would have taken place multiple times throughout the the Great Lent season. And then, you know, when we get to that renunciation of Satan and acceptance of Christ, the affirmation of the faith, that would have taken place at the very end of Lent. And so there's clues to the fact that although we've kind of shoved all these together, and as you say, some people even serve it all together immediately before the service of baptism. But there's clues throughout the service, both in the rubrics and in the texts, that these weren't 
you know, formally spread out over some period of time, because, you know, some of the prayers anticipate things happening later, you know, so we, we kind of conclude one section by saying to God, you know, now bring this person, you know, forward into the next stage, right, and anticipate that next one in due course and things like that, right, but not like immediately 10 seconds later, we're going to do, you know, that next thing. Similarly, the rubrics of the service, you know, the, 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 the kind of position and stance and posture of the the person being received they're repeated several times and so there's a suggestion that actually you know why would they just you know it's it's all happening at once why would that happen well it's because actually this would have taken place at at different times so for example the the person being received as a catechumen was expected to remove all outerwear basically stripped down to a single garment without a belt without shoes uh, and so forth the whole idea of putting aside the old old person, the old man, and and putting on the new and being kind of divested of garments of slavery, slavery to this world, slavery to 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 sin, to death, to to the body, even as it's referred to in the service, and to be put into a posture of being able to accept Christ. Well that those rubrics repeated at different intervals here. And you sort of think, well, if this is all happening at once, you wouldn't need to repeat that. Well, it's a, because originally this would have happened at different times. And so the, the rubrics are there to, to remind us of that as well. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, you'll find different practices today because they're all printed in one book and people just run through them one after right. another. But originally it's the very thing that gave rise to our whole season of Lent and the preparation mm-hmm. for Pascha and so forth as we, you know, pray with and for catechumens on their road, road to baptism. Right. So I think we should just dive into some of the some of the prayers and, and see what's going on here. So the first thing that happens is, you know, the deacon announces, let us pray to the Lord. The people respond, Lord of mercy. And then the presbyter breathes thrice on his or her face and signs him or her thrice upon the forehead and the breast. And he lays his hand upon his or her head. And then he says a prayer. And I mean, you can react to this, Father Jeffrey. My first thought when, when whenever you talk about that, this happens a few times where the priest or the presbyter breathes right on the water or on the person. And that really has, I mean, that reminds me of Genesis one. It reminds me of like the breath of God over the, the waters of the Red Sea that parted for Israel, right? It has, it has a lot of these biblical images. I mean, on first blush, it might seem like a weird thing to do to blow into somebody's face. Um, but I do think it has kind of rich biblical uh, imagery behind it. Um, yeah, is am I onto something there, or is there something more that you could add to that? Oh, yeah. no, we're immediately into um, the realm of creation and new creation, right? And so everything from you know the spirit hovering over the the chaos and the waters and 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 bringing things into existence but then very specifically obviously god you know breathing um his spirit into the human person in order to bring clay into a kind of living you know reality and so forth um the and then that's connected directly with the new testament the gospel where you know, Jesus, who is God, come into the midst of his creation, repeats this, right, and and breathes onto the apostles to commission them, um, you know, to be sent out into the world to precisely to proclaim that new creation, right? So 
all of this is is at stake here. I mean, what we have, obviously, in breath is both in Hebrew and in Greek, the same word as for wind, as for spirit, right? And so every time we have breath, we have all of those things. We have that that kind of elusive um, characteristic uh, of God who, who blows where he wills, you know, so like the wind, but also just that, that deep connection with God's own spirit that he pours forth on the world. Of course, this will eventually culminate here in this personal Pentecost where the Holy Spirit will enter into and and fill and give grace and gifts to, to this person, right, in, in the service of chrismation. So, it's anticipated here already by this this blowing of of the breath of, of the spirit, uh, which is both about the life which is given to us as as creatures uh, created in the image and likeness of God, but then also this special way in which we are drawn close to God by being able to be filled with God's spirit. And of course, that's an exclusive thing. It's going to be emphasized you know, multiple times here that to accept God is to reject all other things, right? That you mm. can't have one without the other. And so one of the things that's happening with this blowing of the breath, and in fact, it will specifically that that next time that the, the, the breath is, is blown, you know, after the exorcisms um, or towards the end of it is actually specifically directed to, you know, blowing out other things right it's like it's the it's the wind that cleans that that cleanses that 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 disperses all other things right so as this breath enters this spirit of god comes to us it's to the exclusion of all other things and so other spirits other breaths other winds will be will be expelled um, from us so all of that kind of comes together here but it, it, certainly these themes of creation and new creation are brought to the fore right at the beginning here Mm. I'd like to read the first two little paragraphs of the first prayer here, Father Jeffrey. Um, mm -hmm. So I'll read them and then we can react to them. So it begins, In your name, O Lord, God of truth, and in the name of your only begotten Son and your Holy Spirit, I lay my hand on your servant name, who has been counted worthy to flee to your holy name and to be protected under the shelter of your wings. Remove far from him or her the ancient delusion and fill him or her with the faith that is in you. And with hope and love that he, she may understand that you alone are the true God with your only begotten son, our Lord Jesus Christ and your Holy Spirit. And I guess I have two, two questions or two things that pop out at me right away. One is already in this first sentence, we're asking that, you know, they be counted worthy to flee to your holy name and to the protection under the shelter of your wings, right? This image of somebody who is rushing to the protection of maybe a parent or, or, you know, something like that. Uh, the, the actual images under the shelter of your wings, right? Which you have these image of the, um, the bird who carries the, their, their young under the, under their wing. Um, and then the other, the other thing that comes out at me is the reference to quote unquote ancient delusion, right? Remove far from him or her, the, the ancient delusion. And I guess one question is what is the ancient delusion? <laughs> Um, that we are referencing here because it says the ancient illusion. So I don't know if you want to take it from there or if you want to first talk about the fleeing unto that, that fleeing. I don't really have a question there. It's more just an observation that already at the beginning of the service, the imagery that's being employed is one of running to the Lord for, for help and protection. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, that, that word does rather jump off the page um, at us. And it, it's really important, I think, because we can 
I think sometimes have a rather debased understanding of what conversion is, right? That somehow it's a mental process, some sort of ideological conviction or something. You know, I, I've, I've decided to become Orthodox. You know, I've done all my reading. Um, I've watched the right YouTube videos and subscribed to the right podcast. So now let me subscribe fully to Orthodoxy, you know, just hit the button you know, become a, a subscriber to or a patron of, of this thing called Orthodox Christianity. Well, it's not that at all. It's it's this utter, complete transformation of life, right? It is fleeing, fleeing from, you know, all of the, precisely the delusion of this present age, of a world that is trying to live on its own terms, according to its own principles, according to its own purposes. And to know that that can't hold, right? That, I mean, yeah, or certainly you can't do both that and somehow follow God or just sort of ideologically assent to the existence of God or to truths about Christ. This truly involves a going away from a former life into a new one. It's why the imagery of death and resurrection here are going to be so important. We die to the old man and are reborn according to the new man, Christ. We, we, you know, put to death this age and are born as citizens, members of the age to come. And it is, it's as transformative as that. It's as powerful as that. And so this idea of fleeing is really, really important to, to kind of keep in mind. It's dramatic. It's, it's comprehensive. And, you know, let's not make any mistake about it. You know, how completely transforming this is is going to be and so that that language is really important here and of course the, the ancient delusion is precisely you know what is described in you know the early chapters of genesis of the idea that human beings could achieve anything on their own terms in other words the idea that everything that god intends for us including everlasting life the life of the age to come that somehow that we would grab that and hold it on our own terms. And that was the pride of the, the, the fall of the, the first delusion. It's something which we, all of us have repeated in our lives. Living for ourselves, living without God is the ancient delusion. And to live for God, you know, the, the Lord God, the Lord is one, hero Israel, right, is an, a completely, you know, all-consuming Thing to do. You cannot do anything else at the same time as serving and loving and worshiping that one God. And so that's why you have to flee from a delusion to this comprehensive you know, reality that all other images, all other purposes are, are put aside. You know, there is, this is completely against idolatry. Idolatry is the capital sin of the, the whole of the scriptures. And here we have to set aside that ancient delusion of putting anything else in the place of God. And we flee yeah. to God's holy name. And that name is the Lord, the God of Israel, who commands and demands utter devotion, right? I am a jealous God, he says, uh, when he gives the, the Torah the, the, and the commandments to, to Moses, you shall have no other gods before me. Um, and, um, and, and and that is all encompassing. And that's what's imp implied here. Yeah. It reminds me of when Jesus says, you, you know, you can't serve God and mammon or, you know, God and wealth. And 
And I think sometimes we read that and we read that he's saying, well, you, you shouldn't, right? Mm. That, you, that you shouldn't. And I, I think what he's saying is it's literally impossible. Like right. you, you can't serve God and wealth. Right. Or anything else. Yeah, right. absolutely. And that's why, you know, I say idolatry is kind of the capital sin here, um, uh, which is a form of pride, right? It's, it's the idea that we can put anything else in the place of God. And so this is what's being excluded from the get go here. Right. You know, as we inscribe this person as someone preparing for rebirth, what you have to set aside immediately is any form of idolatry. The podcast you're listening to reflects only the public half of the overall project of enacting the kingdom. Father Jeffrey and I actively post new episodes on our completely separate private podcast. This private space gives us the freedom to debate and discuss open and sometimes controversial questions regarding the Orthodox faith amongst a smaller and more dedicated audience. If you become a patron now, you'll get immediate access to our growing backlog of private episodes, including a discussion on the ordination of women and the coronavirus multiple spoon controversy. To get access to our private podcast, go to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom. Looking forward to having you join our growing community on Patreon. Now back to the show. Well, let's jump into the first exorcism actually the first prayer of exorcism um so this is where it gets exciting this is where it gets exciting so i'll I'll just read maybe the first three little paragraphs and then um and then we can react from there so the, the presbyter says this over the candidate the lord forbids you O devil he that came into the world and made his abode among men, that he might cast down your tyranny and deliver the human race. He that on the tree triumphed over the adverse powers when the sun was darkened and the earth was shaken and the tombs were opened and the bodies of the saints arose. He that by death destroyed death and overthrew him that held the might of death, that is you, O devil. I forbid you by God who revealed the tree of life, who also established the cherubim and the flaming sword, turning around about to guard it. Be forbidden, for I forbid you by him that walks on the ways of the sea as through as though dry land, and who forbids the storms of the winds, whose glance dries up the deeps, and whose interdict makes the mountains melt away, for it is he himself that now forbids you through us. So, you know, I, I, I run a twice-weekly Bible study, and one of the tools that we use when we read through a passage is, what are the repeating words, mm. right? Like, let's observe the repeating words here, the word forbid <laughs> comes mm-hmm. up, what must be five times or so. Yeah. Um, so that's something that definitely right, right off the bat jumps out at me. We are, we are forbidding, forbidding the devil um, and, and bringing to mind the whole story of, of God's salvation as well. Right. Um, the cross and the tomb and the resurrection and that, you know, the devil really has the really has no power in an ultimate sense. Um, which is which is fascinating because we think I think of I'm I'm just thinking out loud here. Often we think of exorcisms as maybe a battle between the powers of good and evil, and that's not what's being portrayed here. But what's being portrayed here is the battle is won, like mm-hmm. the battle's over, and you actually have no right to be here. And it's more like turning on a light in a room. When you turn on a light in a room, darkness just can't be there anymore it's not that darkness is fighting the light to try and you know for the soul of the of the room the 
what we are doing here, I think, is just shining a light, you know, turning on the light in the in the room of that person's soul. And the the devil has no has no ability to stay there, even if it wanted to. Is that making sense? Am I am I painting that correctly? Uh, for sure. I mean, that that's exactly what's going on here. It, this is, these are proclamations, declarations of, of faith in what has already taken place and is continuing to be kind of uh, affected throughout all, all of creation. Um, these are profound and, um, you know, powerful words that are, that are spoken. And they're spoken, you know, going back to the early point about exorcisms and, you know, the anxiety perhaps or fear um or you know scariness of of all of that I mean, that's absent here right what we have is just this utter declaration of god's sovereignty the uh, sovereignty that manifested in creation and in his saving works and that is just being thrown into the face of any sort of uh you know satan of demon the demonic powers and so forth that continue to be you know uh, tripping people up and causing problems as this present age, you know, is passing away, right? Because we're in this overlap of the ages, as we've spoken of many times, you know, in Christ, the new age has been inaugurated, but it has not been fully revealed yet. And so we have, you know, we, we are born, first of all, into this passing away age, and we need to be reborn into the life of the age to come. And as this process gets underway here with the exorcisms at the making of a catechumen, what we have is this just declaration of the inevitability of the victory of that coming kingdom. And, um, you know, it's just so important to hear these words, right? And it's not something, you know, if we truly understood what's kind of going on here, we would be asking for more of this and not less and not trying to, you know, somehow explain it away or, or anything. Um, I mean, obviously, there's a, a level at which, you know, in our ordinary life, this kind of reality seems a little bit far away from us, right? We've kind of managed in our modern world to explain most things to our satisfaction, or at least we kind of at least ignore the things that we we can't explain. But the church shows and teaches us that there is still this, you know, experience of evil as kind of an irrational force at work in the world. It's not something that can simply be explained by systems or, you know, illnesses or, you know, upheavals, you know, that it can be scientifically, you know, accounted for. And it's precisely at this moment where we've decided to follow Christ that we meet this irrational evil, this opposition to Christ. There are still powers that are trying to undermine that, trying, you know, against all hope because they have no hope to to kind of forestall or stop the the kingdom coming. And so that needs to be addressed. That needs to be uh you know simply dismissed with these words of power, right? And ultimately it is speaking words of power. Christ is called the logos, the the word. And it's that word, which is, you know, the thing which overcomes the darkness. You, know, you go with a prologue of, of the Gospel of John, right? That the word became flesh and, you know, the darkness tried to fight it. The darkness tried to battle against it. the darkness tried to win. And so your imagery of the turning on of the light is, is very apt here, right? The word, the logos comes 
and brings the light and the darkness can't overcome it. In fact, the light becomes all encompassing. And that's just what we're referring to here. And we can address this irrational, um, you know, nonsensical uh, and, and ultimately powerless evil with a lot of power based on our faith in God and our understanding of what he has done in and through uh, Jesus Christ. So it's not, it's no, there's no fear here. There, there's just this realistic appreciation really of the fact that there is ongoing suffering and evil and strife and turmoil, and that has an irrational you know, scope to it. And, mm. and as well as being irrational, it's, there's a kind of personal aspect to it, right? It's just why we can address the devil, you know, as a person, right? It just like, you know, there's no such thing as um, a love without one who loves, without a lover. There's no such thing as hatred without a hater. And so that, that irrational force of evil can be kind of crystallized into this kind of personal conception that is then dismissed, right? And it's, it's by doing that, by kind of bringing and wrapping all of that that uh, experience of evil as an irrational force and, and embodying that in, a, in the personality of Satan, of the devil, that we can then just dismiss it and, and proclaim God's victory over it, which is so comforting and so reassuring. And at the outset of this person's journey towards fullness of participation in Christ and in, in the life of the age to come, how, how much you know, more reassurance could you possibly want than to know that all of that, which makes no sense, which fights against the goodness of creation, uh, is, is, it can be just dismissed with a word of power. And the church has, there's a real arrogance in a good way here with the, the way the church is able to speak with that voice and that the presbyter is able to kind of call forth this truth and just powerfully dismiss with with these words of power the, the the everything that the devil would try to bring and there's going to be several opportunities here to to reject satan and to turn towards christ and here's the beginning of it as we we pray these prayers of exorcism before we get to the last part of the episode father jeffrey because i want to read the rest of this prayer which has a lot of very interesting references um i do want to uh say that uh, enacting the kingdom is a listener supported show uh so if you are liking what you're hearing well what if you're not a patron you're only getting half a show so me and father jeffrey actually have a whole other separate private podcast on patreon where we release episodes every week and videos every week um extended live uh, live streams with special guests uh and now our backlog goes back almost a year so there's lots of topics to cover and that's where i actually we, i pick random topics and father jeffrey just has to respond to whatever i ask him so um yeah sometimes more controversial topics and sometimes less controversial topics but always something fun that i want to learn about so uh, you can become a patron if you go to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom and then you pick a tier and then you'll immediately get episodes um but for now to end off father jeffrey i'd like to read the end of this prayer right and you mentioned at, actually at one point that you know there is no fear and i would say there is but just not for us right mm. because the first oh, yeah. line the, the next line <laughs> of the prayer is be afraid yeah. Right. But it's it's speaking to the devil. Right. Yeah. Be afraid, be gone and depart from this creature and return not again. Neither hide yourself in him nor encounter him nor influence him either in the night or in the day or in the morning or at noon. But get you away to your own Tartarus 
until the appointed day, great day of judgment. Fear God who sits on the cherubim and looks upon the deeps before whom tremble angels, archangels, thrones, dominions, principalities, authorities, powers, the many-eyed cherubim and the six-winged seraphim whom heaven and earth fear, the sea and all that is in them. Be gone and depart from the sealed, newly elect soldier of Christ our God. For I forbid you by him that rides on the wings of the wind, who makes his angel spirits and his ministers of flaming fire, be gone and depart from this creature with all your powers and your angels. The uh, It's very strong language. Very strong language. Uh, a couple of the references here, are, like I mentioned, yes, there is fear, but it's fear mm. that, the, that the devil has in, in sight of you know you, you might say the burning presence of of god himself um you also have a reference to the great day of judgment here mm-hmm. and a reference to tartarus get you away to your own tartarus and that's definitely not language that people nowadays just talk about so maybe you we get your greek mythology <laughs> yeah and then all these names like angels archangels thrones dominions principalities i mean there's a lot of references to this the like could you say kind of the spiritual world or, 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 um, yeah, I don't know. Like let's unpack some of these references for the last part of, uh, of our episode today. Sure. Well, I, I mean, by the time of our Lord, you know, second temple Judaism, I mean, this had become a, a kind of fairly developed, um, theology, you know, even within the various strains of, of Judaism. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, you know, St. Paul makes reference to this, uh, you know, the, there are you know, all kinds of uh, battles going on in, in the heavenly realms and, and so forth. And, and obviously there's a whole narrative as well that, that, you know, we're sort of familiar with from, from the scriptures that, you know, basically the, the devil and, and his, you know, cohorts are fallen angels right that the that that lucifer in fact was the greatest of the angels but had rebelled uh, against god so you have this kind of heavenly uh court and a re- uh, rebellion from that and and those who had you know kind of rejected their place in worshiping god and were now you know attempting against you know all you know sanity and and reality to try to overthrow god and the the heavenly uh court and the the sovereignty uh, of creation and and so forth but that that battle in the spiritual places has its effects in our world and so you know we spoke about the kind of irrationality of of evil and of disorder in creation right some things you can you know really clearly account for you know mental illness might cause you know somebody to do something wrong and everything we can you know prescribe things against that today or therapies or or whatever but there's an awful lot of things in our world that that we experience that just have no sense at all there's just violence there's chaos there's there's all of this and so from you know the perspective of you know the second temple judaism and the time of our Lord, you know, anybody who was within that covenant family of God would have had an explanation for that. And it would involve the spiritual warfare that's going on that kind of spills out into our physical realm, right? That there are things going on that we're just, we're not aware of, or only kind of, you know, vaguely aware of and, and so forth. And of course, the there's reference here to the basically the nine ranks of angels, 
Um, and uh, you know that, that's we refer to that in various places uh, of the liturgy uh, as well. So there's a kind of ordered hierarchy, a kind of ordered uh, you know beauty and and structure to to creation. It's reflected in the heavenly realms, and then over against that, you have this kind of chaos and disorder of of the devil um, and his angels. And of course, I mean, in some senses, you know, this is a story, right? You know, it's, we're not really meant to kind of take this on and, you know, literally apply this in, in some sort of meaningful way in our lives. This is poetic, veiled, symbolic language for this irrationality and this uh, chaos that we can't make any sense of, right? And so veiled under these stories, under these, you know, kind of symbolism and so forth and images, we have, you know, the story of fallen angels who rebelled in pride. This is an experience way of expressing the experience of our reality that we have, you know, and, and, you know, in other words, there is no kind of systematic way of making sense of this or no rational way, but it's, it has to be entered into experienced, faced, fought, triumphed over by proclaiming God and his sovereign saving acts, which have, we already know, right? So it, in another, it's another way of having a kind of you know, great prayer of thanksgiving, like we do in at the center of the divine liturgy, where we rehearse who God is, what he has done, and our response to that. Well, we're simply doing this here in this context of trying to make sense of the disorder of the old creation. What we're about to do is an act of new creation to participate in the one who is the first fruits of that new creation, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who came, who lived his life as a human being and renewed humanity from within. Well, now we're joining ourselves to that. And so we have to address all of the things that he addressed. And, you know, by this, his descent into hell and his confrontation with the devil, that victory was won. And now we can proclaim that anew as we extend that victory, essentially, to a new creation, a new person who is being reborn as a result of that. So we extend the act or the, you know, the, the, the grace and the fullness of salvation that Christ has effected one person at a time. And here we're doing it again by proclaiming that. And it, it enters into that great story of triumph of God over those who would rebel against him, the triumph of order and beauty of creation over the, the chaos and destruction of evil. Well, I think that'll have to do for this episode on exorcisms, Father Jeffrey. I know in the next episode, so so far we've been talking about how the presbyter prays these prayers over the candidate. In the next episode, we're going to talk about the candidate themselves denouncing the devil and then proclaiming Christ, right? And and doing that grand movement. So uh, look for that uh, in our next episode. And that's about it. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you to all our listeners and our viewers, and we'll see you next time. And thanks, Father Jeffrey. Bye for now. Enacting the Kingdom is a patron-supported show, and if you're not a patron, you're only getting half of everything we create. If you'd like to join our growing community of supporters, please go to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom. Your patronage goes a long way to keeping this show going. Thanks so much. And we'll see you next time.